The following program was made possible by Ward's Lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. In the past, sometimes I would just come out on stage and just try to rock or make people dance. I know that I can do all of that. First, I'd like to take them on a journey. The very thoughtful, reflective, and so, so talented Julian Taylor. On today's program, part one of my conversation, along with some of his music, with a two-time Juno-nominated singer-songwriter, and of late, a part-time resident of Cameron. Students head back to the class this coming Tuesday, September 6th. Wes Hahn, Director of Education for our Public School Board, will tell us what they and their parents can expect and should be prepared for. And we talked to a cyclist who took part in the return to a major fundraiser this past weekend and what being on two wheels has meant to him these past two plus years. I'm Denis Gringel. I host this program. It's called The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. (music) 2022's return to the classroom won't exactly be like that of 2019, but it will be better than the one in 2021. And do we even want to discuss the one back to school of 2020? Okay, that's a lot of numbers there to remember. It's starting to feel a bit like a math problem. So let's just focus on the upcoming back to school slated for this coming Tuesday. Wes Hahn is the Director of Education for the Trillium Lakelands District School Board. He joins me now. Mr. Hahn, thanks for joining us. Pretty much a year to the day since we last spoke. Yes, yes. I, time flies, Denny. <laughs> it does, does. It does. And sometimes it feels like it stands still. But when we spoke around this time last year, there was uh, a cautious, almost buoyant tone amongst so many of us, not just those involved in education, but everyone, and that's me included. And then, as you remember, we had that winter wave and students were asked to stay home for a stretch. How wary and, and how prepared are you for a repeat of that again this time around? I think it's a great question, Denny. And I think we had a taste of uh, how we would be moving forward this year back in April, May and June, because, you know, as you know, things opened up. We were back in our extracurriculars were running. But I, to be honest with you, I think everyone knows out there that we weren't quite obviously back to normal back in that time period, we did have extracurriculars and, and there was lots of hope and optimism, but we were still immersed in, in COVID around us. I, I think we're still going to be dealing obviously with COVID. It's still in, in our communities. It's still out there, but I think we've learned a lot about how we operate as a school board and how we manage uh, the health and safety of, of our staff and students. Um, And I've already met with all of our administrators last week for two days. I've met with the trustees there's definitely hope and optimism that we will get back to some kind of normalcy, but it's not quite there yet. So is that, uh, is that hope and optimism comparable to what you felt this time last year or, or a bit more guarded? No, I think it's, it's comparable. And if anything, I feel, um, uh, I guess a greater sense of confidence that we're able to manage this and get through anything that's kind of comes at us. So it's not, uh, it's not being cocky by any means. It's just confident staff, that we can manage this. And uh, that's the way we're going to approach it as we enter the year. What can we see or not see this time around in classrooms and in the schoolyards everywhere that was not the case a year ago? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when we were engulfed in the last two years, but certainly a year ago, I think our our instruction, we couldn't do all the things around learning um, and professional development the way we wanted to. So we had to do a lot of Google Meet a lot of you know meeting with staff to, to share best practices things like that 
you know, that's that's okay. We can get by with that, but it's not the best way of transmitting learning. So we know now, though, that we're going to be able to to really get into schools to support staff, support principals and with our central staff to be able to make sure that learning happens. So from a learning perspective, we feel a little bit more that well, a lot more like we're going to be able to connect and do the professional development that we need. I think from an extracurricular point of view, um, we got a taste of what we were doing in April, May and June. But I think we're going to be able to to really get into uh, more of our extracurriculars and, and certainly our staff volunteering to do those things is a big part of it. As you know, and uh, most of our, our, our parents certainly know, we take our direction from the chief medical health officer and the Ministry of Education. So whatever decision is made there, um, we have to engage and follow through. And so it's clear that it, masks are voluntary. And, and, you know, Denny, last year we saw a range of staff and students continuing to wear masks uh, and, and they should feel quite comfortable to do that if they, if they feel they need to. Um, and so that will enter into this year. We'll be following that same process of voluntary masking. And, and that's what the, the medical health officer in the ministry is, uh, has shared with us to date. The Ministry of Education has given you a, a bit of latitude, if I'm understanding this correctly. They've indicated that school boards no longer have to notify parents of a COVID-19 case in the classroom, but they can right. if they want to. What has your board opted for in there? Yeah, we, we've opted not to do that. I mean, obviously, you know, we, we know that illnesses do occur. And we do know now that the communities get really well aware of what happens within our schools. So it's not as if we're keeping anything a secret. What we will continue to do around this issue, which was something we did share with with families, is if we do have an outbreak that affects the whole school or a class or two and everyone is ill in the teacher's home, we have to we have to be proactive to manage those things. And we were last year. We did we did close um, not very many, but we did close some classrooms uh, because it was spread so quickly that we didn't want to lose all our teaching staff or our students to illness. So we isolated it and did that. So, you know, we're, we're, we hope that we don't have to do that, but when we did, we certainly communicated that to families that were affected and, and that's something that we're going to continue to do. You mentioned earlier how, you know, things have, you now have, you now have more people in the actual classroom and given the situation last year that many of them weren't, it's understandable if not expected that, some students will have fallen behind. I think that's just understood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what's being done to help those students at any level to catch up? It's the center of our work. It's everything that we focus about what we're doing on. We've had uh, tutoring that, as everyone knows, the ministry uh, supplied some funding back in the spring, and we carried that tutoring over the summer. And that will also continue on into the fall, that tutoring support. Um, but I think what we are able to do now that we couldn't do is with everyone back into the classroom and our support staff from the board office being able to get in, we have different teams that are going to be available for those areas that require a need. And, you know, that's really important for us to be able to support teachers and to support students right in the classroom. We couldn't always do that as we work through the pandemic the way we want to do it or the way we needed to do it. So uh, we think we're going to be able to get the supports there and 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 offer more to schools to be able to to support students that need it. So when you when you say teams, do you mean literally like tutors who who will be at the ready just in the starting gates when when a yeah. teacher and a student needs it, they they'll show up. Absolutely, we got what we call safe uh, or intervention teams that can come in and support. You know, maybe uh, pockets of, of areas or schools that require extra assistance. 
um, because of the learning gaps or the learning needs or the staff learning needs, we're going to be able to come right into the building and do that. We've always had consultants and coaches that were able to do that, but we've added more of that kind of support to our system this year in order to you know, support some of the learning gaps and support some of the learning needs of staff. You mentioned support, and certainly we've heard so much about student mental health and how it's mm -hmm. taken such a it's been such a trying time for them. So what do you have for those students who are still dealing with the mental health struggles? Yeah, it was a big focus of my discussion last week with administrators and it will be moving forward. We've taken a look at our mental health um, team that outstanding uh, mental health professionals that, uh, and we've looked at re kind of revamping our model to have more in-school time, in-school support, especially around areas, Denny, that you won't be surprised. And I know our families won't be surprised about around things like anxiety um, and feelings of belonging. We know through the pandemic, and that's not just TLDSB, many, many students across the province, you know, globally have started to feel that way. Even prior to coming into the summer, we were working with our mental health team, you know, different strategies to, to accommodate this. We've got to have, you know, all hands on deck when it comes to issues like that, because they are affecting the way students learn. And, and we, we've got to get to those situations and help support them in the school, in their communities, so that they can be ready for learning. Maybe just finally, Mr. Hahn, how much of an expert have you become on HEPA filters in the past year? <laughs> <laughs> We've had more conversations about HVAC and HEPA filters and MERV 13s. And, and you know, it all of it is really, really important. And we know that we do have many families that really rely on that to feel confident that we're doing everything we can. So um, yeah, we take it very seriously, and you're right. I've learned a lot about our facilities uh, department in the last couple of years, that's for sure. Well, maybe there's a side hustle as an HVAC person in the future should uh, you decide to retire. <laughs> yes. Mr. Hahn, thank you so much. You're welcome, Denny. I, I look forward to this and anytime. I appreciate it. Thank you. My name is Monique Malosh from Ward's Lawyers and Lindsay, your official sponsor of The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. As Wes Hahn, Director of Education for the TLDSB mentioned, there is some reason for hope and promise ahead, with some caution of course. The hint of better days ahead was on display this past Saturday. The Kawartha Lakes Cycling Tour returned in person for the first time since 2019. It had gone virtual since then. This is a major fundraiser for a place called home. It sees upward of 200 cyclists of varying skill and endurance levels taking to various routes of Kawartha Lakes, safely shepherded by sweep and lead riders. I hope I got that terminology right. It raises lots of money for the local shelter. In fact, $30,000 this year. But last Saturday was also an opportunity for cyclists to, well, cycle with other cyclists together. Something that is not lost on Jim Weems, whom I spoke to at the event just before his heat was ready to leave. Jim talked to me about what cycling means to him, how his passion for it was affected these past few years, and what he's expecting on the road ahead. I've been riding now since 2015, a little bit before that, and it's simply a matter of being determined to stay, stay physically active uh, for health reasons. 
during uh, COVID when I was able to get out and ride, I wore masks and uh, that's inhibited me a little bit as far as breathing was concerned, but you soon get used to that. What was it like just making that mental leap to go, this is what I have to do right now? It wasn't, tar- it wasn't hard, um, simply because I wanted to be out. Um, I guess you could use it as an excuse not to go out, but I didn't. Atmosphere around cycling and, and cyclists being so health conscious, um, I don't think there's a, an issue from my perspective anyway, simply because people are being vaccinated. Just like when you and I were just initially talking, you, know, you volunteered that you were vaccinated. Well, a lot of these riders are, and they want to be vaccinated. They don't want to pass it on to anybody else. So I'm not, I'm not concerned about it. Um, if I was, I wouldn't be riding. As you're riding, are you able to tune all of that stuff out and just get into the... Oh, to yeah. This, yeah? Oh, yeah. What's that, what's that moment like when you can just escape everything that's outside? It is a fantastic feeling. I know that when I'm out riding and I get home, my wife says to me, well, what did you see? And I said, I saw the road in front of me. I'm not sightseeing. And it's the same today. I zone certain things out. Sure, we'll have a conversation as we're riding along and you joke and that sort of thing. But ultimately, for a lot of us, it's a matter of getting out there and working hard physically. And then the mental stuff looks after itself. My wife and I have been supporting a place called Home. Even though we live in Cannington, uh, we've been supporting it since 2015 and we continue to. And uh, it's a worthwhile cause. Um, I know that uh, there's not something like this over in Cannington area, um, but a place called home has been uh, a fantastic operation and we continue to support it. Well, as a resident of Kawartha Lakes, welcome to our home and happy riding today. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Hi, I'm Jim Weems. You're listening to The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. We are 100% local media and part of The Advocate magazine, which you can pick up at various locations across Kawartha Lakes. In the September issue, an excellent feature by Denise Waldron on the skilled trades and its past and future in Kawartha Lakes. Our official sponsor is Ward's Lawyers. For all your legal needs, Chris Award and her team of lawyers on Kent Street and Lindsay, they have you covered. Find out what they can do for you by visiting wardlegal.ca. It took some doing because he is a busy, in-demand musician, but I did finally sit down with singer-songwriter Julian Taylor. His credits are numerous, including two Juno nominations, as well as one for the esteemed Polar Music Prize. The Canadian Folk Music Awards honored him as their solo artist of the year not long ago. Taylor grew up in Toronto, the son of an Indigenous father and a Caribbean mother. He still lives part-time in Toronto and remains a huge part of that music scene and well beyond the GTA, of course. He fronted bands Staggered Crossing and the aptly named The Julian Taylor Band. Now, I'm not going to describe his music, and and you will hear some of it in this feature. I'm not describing it because it is a sound that is all his own. I got to see him perform live at the Peterborough Folk Festival the night before we sat down and chatted at his now other home near Cameron. 
But before we get to that conversation, here's Julian Taylor with a new song called Seeds from his forthcoming album, Beyond the Reservoir. Give a, a close listen to the lyrics, which I will discuss with the singer-songwriter and, and now a neighbor, and how Julian channeled his own culture and its story for this very special, this very powerful song. flower you're flexible in all your power you got all the sunlight in the air that you need they tried to bury us but they didn't know we were seeds now he stand out after hour strong as an oak tall as a tower the storm keeps raging, but you never pay no heed. They tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. Somehow, everything eventually dreams. Someday, somehow, everyone eventually dreams. Now see you shining strong and clear No one can stop a good idea Nobody like you There's nobody like you I was a flower, I was an oak I was provoked and when I awoke I started grazing for all the things that I need they tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. They tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. Somehow, everything eventually dreams. Someday, somehow, everyone eventually dreams. They knocked you down, erased your name You stood your ground and wouldn't change You found a place now Standing alongside the trees They tried to bury us But they didn't know we were seeds You are a star and you are hope Smoke signals in the air of both from the darkest depths that our hearts can be freed They tried to bury us But they didn't know we were seeds They tried to bury us But they didn't know we were seeds Sometimes Everything eventually dreams Someday Somehow, everyone eventually dreams. Someday, somehow, everything eventually dreams. Someday, somehow, everyone eventually dreams. Someday, 
I doubt you've had this question before, and I'm going to apologize because it's going to take me a minute to get to it. Okay. Okay, but when I learned that you'd uh, be performing in Peterborough at the Peterborough Folk Festival, the journalist in me said, got to catch this performance. It's going to help in my preparation when I actually meet Julian and speak to him. And I know it's a crazy day for me, but I'm going to move things around. And, you know, even if I just catch uh, like the first 40 or 50 or 60 percent of his performance, that's going to be enough to get me settled. So I was kind of wound up, I admit that. Now here's the thing, Julian, as I'm watching the show, you kind of settled me in. There was almost this deep breath, not just in the music, but in, in your demeanor on stage, everything. And, and you made me want to stick around. You made me just kind of relax and go, I got to sit and watch this now. This is, I, I want to sit and, and watch this for the full set. And that's what I did. So what is it about you and your music and your stage presence that you feel affected me in this way? That's an interesting question. I I don't really know how to answer that other than to say, like, um, before I do get on stage, I, I, I'm always pondering exactly how I want um, the entire performance to come across. And uh, for the most part, I believe that I give off a kind of a chill vibe. Um, I'm not entirely chill inside. Obviously, I, I stress about things and I have you know, anxious moments, which is part of the process of of getting on stage and trying to um, use that energy to transform whatever it is uh, that I'd like to say to people. I don't really say, I don't think the songs necessarily say as much as I I do. Does that make sense? I know that the songs are, you know, specific um, stories for the most part. Some Some of them are just fun. Um, and I'm going to talk to you about that, but I, but I'm curious as to why you would say that that the stories and and you are are sometimes different. How how do you mean by that? Well, I mean I I go through them personally those stories, and they've changed me, and and now I am what I am, and who and because of those stories. And so what I want to do when I get on stage is I want to I walk around a little bit, and, you know I'm pretty quiet. It's almost like a meditative state um, where I collect those stories. I collect the vibe of the people i watch people i see what they're doing and how they're feeling and what did you see last night when you looked out from the stage and 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 saw that huge rake of of people on on that hill i just i just saw you know comfort really and that's what i i I went walking around the crowd before i I got on stage and sometimes i do that just and just quietly and watch people see what they're doing see you know um children with their uh, siblings or parents trying to reel them in and, you know, cut new couples or old couples or, you know, what people are eating and drinking. And uh, you're, I just, doing, you're doing research. Yeah, I'm just breathing it all in. It was mornings like these when the breeze whistled through the trees. Fall would hover in the grass but still be wet. Put on my rain boots and I'd get dressed. And then when I get on stage, finally, I try to soak it up, center myself, and then deliver. But a lot of times, and I've seen a lot of shows, outdoor shows, club shows, and I can, I can sense when it's feigned and it's contrived. And, and you managed to not do that. So how hard is it to channel that, that true self on stage? to convey that, even without the songs, just when you're chatting with us. Oh, it's incredibly difficult. Uh, it, it takes a lot of energy out of me at the end of the day. Which is ironic, because you seem so reposed during yeah. the whole process. 
No, it tires me out, for sure. But it's because it's it's sort of an empathic sort of way of looking at things and doing things. So, um, yeah, I guess when I think about it, for example, I want people to know where I'm coming from, but I want to know where they're coming from. And so usually when I step on stage, that's the first thing I do. Do you notice a big difference between that small club show, which I know you'll do, or, or an auditorium, and, and what you were doing last night in front of, you know, six or 700 people outside? It all depends. I mean, um, my music's changed and my message changed over the years. I have songs that are, you know, rockers, and I have songs that are, you know, really funky and poppy and, and bluesy. And then I have these folk songs as well. I've always thought that I'm just a, a folk rock writer. When uh, different musicians have gotten behind me, um, it, it morphs into something else. So um, in the past, I think that sometimes I would just come out on stage and just try to rock or, or make people dance. And now I, I know that I can do all of that whenever I really want to. First, I'd like to take them on a journey. talk to you a bit about uh, how you approach your lyrics because I, I found a lot of them, there's that lovely nuance, the, the, the shades of the metaphors and I'm thinking, almost like poetry, I'm thinking of 100 Proof. The line that really stuck with me was 53, he'd found the key in that old recipe. So, you know, there's some nice imagery there. 53, he'd found the key in that old recipe. I didn't write that lyric. Actually, a friend of mine did. Oh, did he? Yeah, Tyler, well, you... Tyler Ellis. Did, did, okay, yeah. so what was it about that lyric that, that, that drew you in, that compelled you to... Well, he and I write a lot of songs together. Um, and uh, there's an airport over, the, over there. Oh, I know I'm familiar with it. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's so um, but, uh, yeah, no, he's one of the people in the, in, in the songwriting world, uh, as well as a guy named Robert Priest, um, my buddy Andre Flack. All of us sort of get each other. It's almost like I trust him with saying what I might say and vice versa. Does that make sense? Sure, absolutely. I mean, that's By 102, he was through. And his family gathered his family's due. They said if you were sad, he'd cry. If you were funny, he'd laugh. When you get an idea for a song, how, how do you decide which route you're going to take, whether it's going to be the imagery, whether it's your lyrics or something mm -hmm. that somebody else has contributed, or something as clear as my sister... And, uh, and me catching frogs. How do you decide which route you're going to go? Um, it depends on what the message of the song is uh, supposed to be. Like, for example, that particular song is, 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 is an easier um, one to tackle because it is a, when I write that way, they're true stories. Um, not to say that the, the, the metaphors aren't. The, the metaphors, to me, seem a little bit more allegorical rather than... Um, straight to the point because when I there's, there's certain songs that are lessons and then there's certain songs that are um, moments in time and so I'm always trying to capture that sort of essence that moment in time 
John Prine, actually, um, an interview with John Prine that sort of changed my mind about things, where it's like, if you can describe to people what you're seeing um, by using um, sensory imagery and or um, emotional energy to trigger those moments and feelings within people, then you're doing a really good job. Like, for example, and I've never written this, but I guess you could say, like, the color of the, the brick on the wall on the porch and, and describe that sort of auburn color. Like, people already know what the color auburn looks like. They already know what brick looks like. Um, and then you could describe the fact that you and I were sitting here talking and in the distance you could hear boats roaring on, on the water or you could hear birds. Or a plane. Or a plane. Right. And, but everybody's been there. Everybody's sat and done that already. If you can sort of depict those images and, and, and work them in, in just a plain and simple way, it's very interesting how people get it. Going through the ridge again You can stay in a And wait for it to die way I'm a pretty sentimental guy and um, I think about the past a lot. It's, it's not, I'm trying not to live there is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to live in the present and doing the best that I can. That can be a challenge, though, can it, right? It's incredibly challenging. Don't you find it incredibly oh, channel- hey, challenging? Thanks, uh, thanks for asking me. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's one, one of the hardest things to do. Oh, it's, it's, it's easy to know you shouldn't live in the past, but it's, it's hard to keep reminding yourself of it, I find. Mm-hmm. I, miss, I miss people. Yeah. I miss moments. I miss periods of my life. And I don't want to get caught there. That's what I mean by that. Because I want to be here. It's painful to live in the past sometimes, actually, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's really joyous. But I, I, I still think there's that sort of element of hopefulness in it. I'm going to talk to you now about seeds, now that you've brought up hopefulness, because when I heard the song, there's just so much, uh, there's obviously so much sadness and, and um, just injustice and, and awfulness that it brings up that that we're responsible. It's a sad song, it's, isn't it? Well, it is, but but and, and I have to choose my words here carefully, and I hope I'm okay for saying this. And it was corroborated by my wife, who's way smarter than I am when it comes to this. <laughs> she she agreed that there was almost a sense of joyfulness or promise to it as well. Sure, that was the point. Okay, good. So I got that. Yeah. That well, was, okay. That so was how the point. how did you? I just wonder what that was like for you to write that about something that that is so awful but but hey you know what we're gonna come through this what was it like balancing those two i have a difficult time doing that as well i mean like um the whole idea was to um i'm like a a quiet protester you know i i I have a doll roar but i want it to, to to make a lot of noise at the same time um i'm not out there with picket signs and things like that, I try to I try to use my mind to to, to to make a difference. And your music, I guess. Well, that's that's it. Yeah, I use my music, and, and and that's where my mind goes. That's my my way of expressing myself musically and lyrically. is my it's my best chance, really. I'm I'm relatively small, 
Well, mission accomplished because that's, and I feel good now. I feel validated that 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 I got what you were hoping. Yeah, that's I was the thing. Get. I wanted to make people think. I wanted to. I wanted people to see the beauty in what's happening, and what has happened has been, uh, and and what's what's still happening is horrible. And we all all know that. But I want people to listen really carefully to, you know, when I was younger, my ancestors and people would tell me just you know things are moving, they're, they're, they're doing what they need to do. The grass is growing, it'll sprout. Just keep believing. Somehow, everyone eventually dreams someday. Singer, songwriter, excellent guitarist, and now a part-time resident of Cameron, Julian Taylor. Go to his website, juliantaylormusic.ca, to purchase CDs or digital downloads of his music. You can also catch Julian live on stage at the Aurelia Playhouse Saturday, October 1. And look for Julian's forthcoming album, Beyond the Reservoir, due out very soon. We'll bring you part two of my conversation with Julian in an upcoming episode. The other music you heard on today's show and, and all of our shows, that's courtesy of Gerald Van Halteren. He wrote and performed our theme and our musical bridges. Ward's Lawyers, they're the reason this show exists as our official sponsor. A great team of lawyers led by Carissa Ward. Go to wardlegal.ca to see what they can do for you. Please reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Advocate Podcast Stories from Quarth Lakes is written, produced, and hosted by me. My name is Denny Grignell. Stay safe, smart, and kind. Talk to you in mid-September. Well, welcome to Quartha Lakes. And once again, what's that town just to the north of us? It's not Cobaconk, it's... It's Coba. Kobe. Oh, it's Kobe. There you See? go, man. All right, All you're right. in. Well, <laughs> you get a Fenlon pass. and Cajun and Kobe. There you got it. All right. All right.